This ripple won't fade. It'll grow and grow until it's a tidal wave. Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. I'm glad we're finally having burgers. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 309, Closure, is brought to you by Half Moon Pub Matches. They make an explosive combination with air freshener. (laughs) That is that is literally true. And Pete, also literally true, we had some breaking news shortly before this episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. aired. And uh, as people who watched it, well, if you didn't watch it, I'm not quite sure why you're listening to the podcast, but maybe you're listening to it in the future. Anyhow, uh, the Agent Carter start date has been pushed back by two weeks to January 19th. So uh, we'll still be doing what we do, wrapping up Jessica Jones, looking back at the season there, at the first season there, previewing Agent Carter, and... Uh, kind of getting ready to go there, and uh, I guess we'll see what effect that has on S.H.I.E.L.D., whether that's in response to external stuff, S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, whatever it might be, but that's certainly, Pete, is a discussion for another day. Matt, I can report that the presidential State of the Union has been rescheduled to uh, Tuesday, January 12th, so it's likely ABC didn't want to give us two hours, break for a week, come back uh, a week later with new episodes. So we we get a two-week delay, but there will be no delays, as I understand it now, within the um, Agent Carter broadcast schedule. Remember, we're getting 10 episodes this year instead of eight in the previous season. All right. When we catch you up on what went down in the episode, our tease here, Matt, some smooth jazz, Colson, Roz, All-American Burgers from DJ's, idyllic setting here. Uh, you know, Rosalind talks about, mentions how uh, Agent Banks thinks she's crazy. Uh, she tells him everything. We'll stick a pin in that for later. Um you know, uh, she's saying she gets all topical that she should have swiped left on this relationship uh, and that Colson is such a Luddite, you know, with his flying car uh, from the 60s. So some good little back and forth. We're having the burgers talk about uh, Malik that um, Roz is going to go back to the ATCU to uh, find out what he's going on, what's going on with him and a shot through the window. And Pete, before that shot rings out, it's so nice to see that they've reached this point of happiness and we can look forward to her being a continuing character. Then, <laughs> oh no, Pete, blood from the neck, TV code for there's definitely trouble here. Yeah. And uh, of course, it's revealed that Ward has taken this uh, pretty epic shot. Yeah, the the uh, pan all the way back there, the the push, if you will, uh, to Ward on the other end, and a little bit of a different title card um, heading into these final two episodes before the winter finale. Even though it's December one, which is only meteorological winter, whatever. Um, an interesting way to go. Act one here picks right back up with Roz on the fo- on the floor and Ward on the phone. 
uh, talking about how now Coulson knows how it feels. Um, we get Coulson's admission that Rosalind has been murdered here. So despite TV code, Matt, uh, we, we get the confirmation that uh, she is indeed dead. Um, why? All because she was digging into Malik. Um, meanwhile, Coulson is texting somebody that he is under fire. He needs extraction uh, and tells Ward that he's going to need to come and get him himself. Ward, however, says he has people who take care of that for him now. And the discussion of the portal early on in this episode, we'll call it Chekhov's portal because <laughs> if it gets mentioned in Act 1, uh, somebody's or everybody's got to jump through it in Act 5. Yeah, it definitely was a moment of some direct exposition there. Malik will find a way to open the portal. Does everyone <laughs> at home understand the thrust of the episode? Listen, hey, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, they both act better than that. No, I totally agree. And I'm um I'm having a bit of fun. I mean, this is what you have to do in the beginning to clearly spell out kind of what the yeah. what the motivation is for the episode. I'm not I'm I mean, this is this is any any drama has to do this to give us this roadmap of where we're headed. Um Pete, after Ward is done with his monologue, I did like the kind of layered fight that then uh then happened. I thought it was decent from the yes. the air freshener bomb to <laughs> to the two uh, to the two guys that get dazed by that. Then the shootout gets even better as the as Colson goes out the window and Mac arrives and more guys are shot and Mac's shooting at them and there's all sorts of you know peeling out and and driving off and whatnot. Certainly high energy. And believe it or not, still denouement, still in the falling action from the the shock of. Of killing off, uh, you know, a recurring guest star here in Constant Zimmer, and just a, a quick R.I.P. for the the character, and was nice to get that other side of Coulson, and and really the culmination. This scene, a little bit of domestic bliss, uh, ruined by Grant Ward, which uh, really nothing new. <laughs> Yeah, sorry to see her go. I mean, great actress, great addition to the show. I mean, clearly the flip side is had kind of served her purpose for the story. And uh, now, you know, her death propels Coulson to character areas we haven't seen before. Back at the playground here in a really effective transition. Coulson walks in, blood all over the shirt. He sees first Lincoln and then Fitzsimmons and Daisy and May are in a room with I, I don't know if it was intended to be a uh, an Easter egg, but there's an arcade uh, video game cabinet called Crossfire in the room when you see them the first time after that scene. Um, then, uh, you know, um, Bobby asks uh, Mac if Colson said anything, and uh, he said just to get the interrogation room ready. Uh, Colson then heads into his office there. He sees the matches as he takes the shirt off. Um, and uh, as the agents are discussing downstairs, I, I love the use of silence as far as dialogue in this scene. And, and he just absolutely rips his office apart. We only hear the sound as we head into the uh, the first act break. This is the first of a couple of scenes where Coulson is a bit un-Coulson-like. Now, we have the motivation with Roz's death, so it certainly is explained. 
And I think it's just the show committing to saying this is now Coulson blinded by his anger, Coulson on a mission. And on the one hand, I wasn't crazy about it initially, but I think that they're kind of up against the Cyclops of X-Men problem, which is when you have your square-jawed, always-does-the-right-thing leader guy, that's right. a lot less interesting than the rogue. And here Coulson has to go rogue from his type, and they're making that writer decision to do it. We've seen him lose somebody who meant a lot to him. Um, and they're going for it. And even if it even if even if it feels a bit unnatural, they go for it and they kind of have the, the latitude to do so. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about his uh, longest relationship ever glimpsed with the character. You know, you can talk about uh, Amy Acker's cellist, but that happened off screen and we've seen her in one episode. Um, so to have this entire arc and and now this largely unfulfilled romance with Rosalind and to see the loss, this further develops Coulson. This gives him layers. And I, I agree a little bit, Matt, with what you're saying, you know, all right, Coulson's got to go off the books and, and be not Coulson. Um, but I, I found that it oddly worked in this episode, particularly against the foil of Grant Ward. Oh, absolutely. And we see that after the act break where, you know, Coulson's ready to break some heads and there's this, you know, pretty, pretty uh, fantastic montage of him grilling the staff about Ward, uh, including one camera shot where Clark Gregg is in his seat. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's it's him talking to, uh, I think it's Fitz and then the camera pans all in one shot to, to Daisy, right. um, who he who had not been there, you know, at least by implication of the edit. And then now she's back talking to Colson again. So they've done this thing where, you know, Ian DeCacaster has quick gotten out of his seat while the camera's not looking at him and Clark Gregg has sat down. And it's it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of show off in the best sense uh, of of the montage there. But certainly we have Colson on this mission uh, to to find out things about Ward that they've never discussed before, which struck me as a slightly odd time to dig deep. But I suppose now's the time to do it because it's it's Ward time. It's the type of thing they might have done in the bus's holding room, you know, the the back and forth and here doing it with other agents to try to get at, you know, their experiences with Ward, May, who who slept with him, um, Simmons and Fitz, who had like a uh, little sister and, and brother relationship with him, um, Fitz oddly explaining how he once caught um, Ward in his bunk like a creeper. Uh, May talking about how he was like a hero. Um, that There was this magnetism uh, to him. Simmons bringing up the fact he did jump out of a plane to save me. You know, obviously b- before the full-on Hydra uh, activation, but still an act that he did, a, a seemingly selfless act um, that he did back in the day. So it, there is this, and you know, again, the writers love to do this, and it's largely effective within this episode to bring in these gray areas of what could seem on the surface a pretty black and white character. He just killed the protagonist's girlfriend. Yet 
were made to throughout the course of this episode feel sympathetic for him with what went on with the brother. Uh, these characters have still a soft spot in their hearts in, in varying degrees for them, uh, for him. And Daisy, you know, nobody illustrates it in this scene like Daisy does. The identification because of her background with him and, you know, the idea that, that she says here, um, you know, first she says she doesn't know what to say and then coming with all of this, you know, psychoanalysis uh, about him and their shared perspective because of their upbringings. Pete, with that, we cut to a scene where I'm going to take a little tut-tut finger wag at the writing here. We have Mac and Daisy talking to Banks. They show him the patch that says Distant Star Pathfinder, and he says, I know what that is. It's from the <laughs> Distant Star Pathfinder Project. So that works out well. Yeah, that was a little convenient, but given the amount of story that they're covering in this episode, if you're going to if you're going to have a shortcut, that's the place to put it. It definitely is. And you know, as we've talked about so many times before, whether you're dealing with broadcast TV as is the case with this or even with the, you know, the the smaller episode seasons, whether it's, you know, basic cable, whether it's Netflix, whatever, you still do need to orient the audience to what's going on. Um, so that was just a moment where, oh, good, I'm glad he can read the thing and realize it's a project. But certainly, hey, that's where we're headed next with the, well, at least with the Banks character. Yeah, and quickly when it when it comes back to uh, Malik, um, and we see Pathfinder uh, logo boxes being moved around, we know it's all being pushed in that direction. He refers to. Ward as a conquering hero after he comes back, but admonishes him for Colson wiggling uh, away there. That, uh, you know, oh, you sent in your little Bones Brigade. And I got to ask, you know, can Powers Booth raise his voice? Because everything is delivered like this. Oh, I don't know, Pete. I think he's, I think he's pretty fantastic with his delivery because he's just calm, cool, and Oh, collected. it works. It works. <laughs> it definitely works. He's, he is the requisite level of menace. And at the same time, this just all in to the it's not even Hydra ideology. I think there's something on a on a fanatic level here. There's there's a fervor that that's not normally present in our Hydra thugs. This is this is borderline religious well i mean particularly since malik is now not only at the tippity top of this structure but so close to getting what we've now kind of retconned in as the original hydra uh, desire even before it was hydra um and you know and he's he is so close to it and uh, and he's kind of the proud papa of it all you know, there's these five stones, and they were they had been divided. A little bit of exposition there amongst Hydra's leaders. They're the key to everything. Now they've been reunited. He has them, but again, he admonishes Ward, and this is echoes to what um, Daisy mentioned in the previous scene. You know, the powerful father figure in uh, in Agent Garrett for Ward previously, and. Now, Ward is not having any of this. He's not taking it at the hands of Malik. He pushes back with this stuff. Malik tells him he's jeopardized something uh, over 
something as petty as closure. He does push back, but when the scene starts, I couldn't help but notice that as Malik chides him for for maybe pushing a little too hard to kill Coulson, great acting choice on Brett Dalton's part. It kind of looks like the kid who's got his hand caught in the cookie jar where it's like, uh-oh, Hydra dad figured it out. I was, you know, hoping that Coulson could get killed. Oops. Um, certainly well done all around. Um, you know, he says he knows, Ward says he knows Coulson better than himself here. And quick cut there, Coulson comes in to see Hunter and uh, chokes him out for having gone after Ward and failed. Something they did deal with before, but obviously in the wake of uh, Roz's assassination, bringing up, dredging up these feelings again and brings Coulson around to one of the after destroying his office, one of the other uncharacteristic moves. Now he authorizes not just Hunter uh, to go after Ward. They need a pilot in Bobby and he's appointing Mac acting director saying that uh, May has not come far enough in the wake of what happens to what's happened to Andrew to lead. And uh, now it's uh, it's on Mac, which was an interesting choice and, and one I dare say uh, paid off in this episode. What I took exception to in, in all of this was uh, that he chokes out hunter one second which fine's been dealt with before but even if we turn a blind eye to that he's in the moment now and he's so angry blah 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 but then it's like you're right i shouldn't blame you hey will you go on the mission with me i'm ordering you to go on the mission with me it's like well wait either you're so angry at him that that he deserves to be physically punished in a way that we have not seen director colson act before or he's good enough to go on the mission you can't feel both simultaneously, but it's almost simultaneous that both thoughts are presented. It's about conflict, Matt, and that drives a story. And to have it at the beginning of the scene and then, all right, we're going to dust ourselves off and put this behind us and all move forward together. That's what gets it done. Speaking of moving forward, a couple who is not moving forward, <laughs> who is stalled, Fitz and Simmons, uh, meeting in a in a rather dank area there, um, discussion of the portal of you know Hydra's mission. And I love Fitz's encapsulation here that it was an old wives' tale that Hydra moms tell their goblin babies. <laughs> Certainly uh, a a fantastic moment there. And then Pete, all of a sudden, oh no, Banks is shooting people. Because he apparently can't let go of the gun that's moving by its own volition. But that's okay. That's a mistake they made in the first X-Men movie, too. Wait, hold on. Speaking of the first X-Men movie, it's not Magneto, a.k.a. Mr. Gaira. Yeah, it's the uh, the other gentleman there who we've seen before. Um, Hunter and uh, Bobby tangled with. And now um, he makes Banks shoot himself. And... Uh, he doesn't want to keep Malik waiting as we end Act 2. As Act 3 begins and a Quinjet streaks across the sky, we have Coulson, Hunter, and Bobby in route. Some uh, quick discussion there before we're back with Fitzsimmons being brought before Malik. And he calls her so, you know, she's so feral. Great, great line there. Or He's feral. Feral, feral. <laughs> He's you know, just which, the Pete. 
he could call her from A to Z in the phone book. He's just so darn smooth. Well, the 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 intro was that uh, he said, "You don't send a boy to do a man's job, but here we sent a woman, and it worked out." Um, and that uh, again, admonishing Ward, you didn't tell me she was so feral. And he says, "Well, this is a new development." It, it's it's a credit to the writing of this episode, which I've taken a couple knocks at thus far. But it's a credit to the writing in this scene and to the writing overall that. They're able to give dialogue to Malik where he's able to insult people so quickly. You know, don't send a boy to do a man's job. Well, who's the boy here? I guess it was Fitz or was it all the previous Hydra people or was it Ward? Oh, that was that was a slap at Ward. So you have that there. And then it's, oh, but it turns out a, it turns out a woman could handle it. So it's like the notion that, that the female is beneath the boy in this structure. But, hey, somehow that worked out anyway. And it's just... Oh my goodness! He just mowed down the entire room with with two or three sentences. Uh, certainly, fantastic turn of writing there. Yeah, I love the way they are writing Malik. And when you got a, a scene chewing uh, potential villain like uh, Powers Booth, you know it it, it just works. Um, and then Fitz tells them to piss off. <laughs> and uh, with that, we cut back to Mac delivering new uh, news to Daisy. He's made the call to not go after Fitzsimmons yet. He's going to make the decision on his own. And then he calls Colson. Yeah. <laughs> and Colson calls him director. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody wins there. Um, he delivers the news about Fitzsimmons. And, um, you know, they know that uh, Ward, uh, that's why he mentioned the portal. He wanted them to go there at this ex Hydra castle. And, uh, of course, the the notion that uh, Fitzsimmons have been captured, that it, it, it bothers Coulson so much, Pete, he does the unthinkable. He throws his phone and says it's still his <laughs> game on. But, Pete, it's the phone that is now damaged. The phone with the special Fitz battery, no doubt. Why, phone, why? And don't throw your phone if you're listening to this podcast because you will no longer be listening to our podcast. Um, and with that, they rob know- a jewelry store. Yeah, yeah, you know, the the transition was not clear. And obviously, these hooded thugs who suddenly break into the jewelry store and, oh my God, how did you find me, says the unnamed bearded character, who we learn in a little bit is Thomas Ward. Indeed, and I think, and I don't think you were, well, what I'm about to say, I don't think you were suggesting otherwise, but it is intentionally unclear what's going on. It's an yeah. intentional kind of rough cut to then go, what? They've backed into... The hidden, the hidden Ward boy. Um, but before that, we have Ward and Simmons with their verbal repartee. Ward would never hurt her. If only she would give up the secrets. Ward won't hurt her. But hey, this guy would. It's the master of magnetism. Mr. Guerra. Yeah. After she called him uh, King Idiot, um, he says that he really wouldn't hurt her. Um, you know, the, the back and forth in terms of what's going on there. And then she brings in, uh, I'm sorry, he brings in, Ward brings in that other gentleman who's going to change her mind. Matt, it's hammer time. Do you want to see a trick? Pete, uh, I would think it would be a trick to make a pencil disappear, but I think instead he's going to have a hammer uh, float through the air, which probably is not good for Simmons. 
It's not. And when Ward goes to see Fitz down the hall or in the other room, whatever it is, close enough so he can hear, um, you know, he he admits that he can still smell the fear on um, Fitz uh, of himself and then uh, says that he's not going to hurt him either, but you're going to tell me how you brought Simmons back and, and Simmons starts screaming in that other room. And that is a great bit of writing there. Right. The decision that we're going to torture Fitz by having him hear Simmons get it. It's it's just a wonderful, wonderful moment. I mean, obviously dark and awful for them as you know real people, but in terms of it being uh, you know in terms of being this fictional conceit, great way to handle it. Ward is brains in addition to brawn, and just a really well done moment. And it's all the more effective in light of where the Fitzsimmons relationship has gone and stalled now and the psychological aspect of listening to her scream. And then, you know, a couple scenes later, Ward asks, you know, what's worse when she's screaming or when she pauses in between? Very, very effective. And, you know, Brett, Brett Dalton, he, he hits it as, as the villain here. He certainly, certainly does. And uh, speaking of the villains in the Villainous Ward family, we cut to Coulson revealing, as we said before, it's a secret ward, Pete. We found the secret ward. It's Tommy Ward. It's the ward who was going to be, uh, who was in the well there um, all the way back in the season one episode. Matt called? The well, Pete. As Act 4 begins here, Fitz and Ward the discussion about the screams and the pauses. And then um, we have the detail that Ward um, had, uh, he gets a call from Roz's phone, a dead woman's phone that Colson is still hanging on to. And he's treated to a FaceTime of his duct taped baby brother. And I, we got more of that, that kind of hidden backstory there. We certainly saw that, um, Saw that uh, Grant was upset to see uh, Thomas under pressure, Thomas at the hands of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, And what I like, Pete, is that Thomas confronts his brother in all this. He makes reference to their history, the 15 years that they've been apart. Um, And Thomas tells his brother what all logical people would know. Ward is a monster. I know we have some listeners who would disagree, but... um, we we kind of have what I thought was the show underlining to say, no, Ward is a bad guy. Well, before the, the second call where Ward comes back after Coulson hangs up on him, you know, the bluff of S.H.I.E.L.D. for the viewers ends when Bobby takes the tape off, gives him a water, says that they're not going to hurt him. And, you know, we, we get that backstory there from Thomas, from this other ward here. Uh, Coulson says this is the only way that he can draw Ward out. And Thomas tells him that's okay, but you need to finish him when you do. So like you said, he does know the monster that his brother can be. Talks about all of the family issues that they had, said how Grant was his best friend, that he protected him from their terrible parents from the uh, awful older brother and Christian, but he changed after the incident in the well. And then Matt, it was incongruous in terms of 
how it came up in the dialogue. I would be very interested to see how it was written on the page. Um, he said that Grant was 17 when he burned their house down with Christian inside. Correct me if I'm wrong. Grant Ward was not 17 last season when he did that. That is what I heard as well. Um, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, somehow mumbled or somehow misstated or if it was just perhaps miswritten. Um, it certainly was not 17 years ago. We know that. Um, so I don't know if, I, I don't know where the disconnect was, but we both kind of heard the same, heard the same, um, statement, which, which clearly it's either an error on our end or an error on their end. And I uh, will have to dig a little deeper on that one. He tells them, uh, he, he doesn't want to be handed over. He's concerned about being handed over and the techity tech that Bobby has, uh, run a trace on the phone here. So when Ward calls back just then, and, uh, you know, swears he will cut Ward, who he, I'm sorry, cut Fitz, who he just promised he would not hurt uh, from head to toe. He's got Thomas on the other end here and uh, explains to him, again, the rationalization of the victim that, you know, they killed somebody I loved very much. Uh, they haven't spoken in these 15 years. And um, he didn't want to let him hurt him again uh that uh their father uh though he had been a terrible person when he was burned to death had needed a walker and it's all the the justification that you have to do bad things to be good and pete if you didn't need if you didn't get the message from this portion of the scene that ward is a monster um after the the call concludes he then uh ward does decides to take or you know grant ward decides to take out his aggressions by uh physically beating on Simmons, or at least that's the implication. So I think the show definitely taking a stand here with regards to one Grant Ward. It was particularly effective. He goes in and tells her, you know, you're going to tell me everything I need to know. And we have that shot of Fitz uh, stuck in the chair who hears all of this uh, with the electronics in the background. Very, very effective. Uh, with that, there's the trace reveal from Coulson there in England. With that, we cut to Mac watching the live feed on the Hydra England facility. And Pete, all the pressure on what will Mac do? Yeah, um, you know, he's he's been placed in this position here. Um, Daisy sent May in to talk to him and they have this discussion. There's the uh, the file on Lincoln by Andrew Garner talking about a, a dangerous temper but she's not sure whether andrew wrote that or whether that was lash making that assessment but uh he's in the position he was promoted to acting director and he's got to make the call for colson with that we cut back to the space portal room things are all ready to go and then pete the reveal fitz has volunteered to go this is to stop the hurting of Gemma simmons because pete Fitz doesn't want to be on a planet that doesn't have Simmons. So he's going to leave the planet, <laughs> which a, I get the sentiment that the idea is he's hoping to come back and he's doing it for her. I get all that. It was just slightly ironic that he's saying, I don't want to be anywhere that's without you. So now I go billions of light years away to somewhere else. This is three seasons and two calendar years worth of symmetry that we would go from one well in a flashback with Grant Ward 
now to this hydra well that they are about to plunge into. And it's not just Ward going in, but his surrogate baby brother in Fitz. So as far as the symbolism and the archetype within this, really, really deftly handled. It certainly is. And it's nice to see some of these larger um, structures to the writing. Um, you know, certainly the, the pressure to write 22 scripts a year and all of that. I mean, there must be times where, where they look back and say, oh, I wish we had done things a little bit differently. But the fact that these characters do have this long 50 episode plus uh, history to them, you know, it's something that as a writing room they can tap into to kind of be making these references back and all that. I've here, Daisy and Mac, the idea of uh, being sure about sending in some new people to duty that they've not even been cleared, but Mac has just cleared them. And Daisy wonders aloud if she's finally going to get her team after all. And Matt, her team is made up of secret warriors. All two of them. <laughs> Joey, the metal melter and Lincoln, the electric guy. Copyright. Uh, spoiler Pete, 2015. I have to admit, I it took me a second to be like, oh, that must be Joey, that guy from the earlier episodes. That's clearly who that is. Like it wasn't. This is a case where I would have liked to have had my hand held by the show a little bit to be like, I can trust you, Lincoln, and you, Joey, too. Like, he hasn't been on the screen enough recently where it was just immediately like, oh, that's the guy from the beginning who did all the melty stuff. But Pete, certainly the message from acting director McKenzie is clear to those two guys. Step up or the bad guys win. Director McKenzie? Acting director Mackenzie. That's what Mac is short for. The the episode reminded you us. You sure Mackenzie is is short is uh the full version of Mac? Oh absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What's his first name? Um Agent. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> I, he, Colson <laughs> referred to him. Agent. It's Alfonso Mac Mackenzie, according to the Agents of Shield wiki. Okay. Um Colson called him. He said, you know, it's up to you. When he was given, it's like, well, you're in charge now, Agent McKenzie, or something like that. Look, I'm not the one that named him McKenzie and then has consistently called him Mac, okay? I, they just could have called him Mac and left it at that. But I, I'm playing by the show's rules here, Pete. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Speech delivered. Uh, two secret warriors assembled. All right, we'll give you Daisy. Three. Uh, he sends him in. And it's Colson, Colson and Bobby here having this discussion about how he had done a pretty good job of keeping his feelings in check. Um, but that's what you're going to get now with his involvement against Ward. Um, that uh, we get Ward and Malik having a discussion here that they've underestimated Colson. Uh, but now Malik wants Ward to lead men to the other side. And uh, Malik thought Ward had um, vision. But what Ward is hip to, much like happened with Garrett, he now knows when he's being manipulated. And there's discussion here of weakness, whose weakness exactly uh, is, is greater. 
But uh, Malik keeps coming back with this fervor here that he's that he's asking Ward to lead. And he says that if you cross over, you will see the faith that my faith, that your faith in Hydra wasn't misplaced and to look it in the eye and we will then be able to do whatever the hell we want. So this is a dogma we've not seen a a level of commitment in terms of a cause we've not seen out of Hydra yet. And I like the fact that they're both hip to the manipulation going on here. But at the end of the day, it's like Malik doesn't want to go through because nobody's ever come back. And, you know, Ward's much younger and much more fit and all of that. But, you know, it, it, it kind of gets down to this brass tacks situation of Ward is the best guy to go through. Oh, Pete, I guess that'll mean he doesn't get to have his Coulson showdown because Coulson's on Earth and Ward's going to the other planet. So... I'm sure they're not going to do anything with that. <laughs> yeah. And when uh, Fitz makes a condition of the deal, uh, not touching Simmons, um, she begs him uh, to let them kill her, which really kind of rings hollow. Um, but she's so adamant that the it that Malik referred to looking them in the eye on the other side. Dr. Doom. Uh, What's matter? It's Doctor Doom on the other side, isn't it? <laughs> on 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 the 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 boring sand planet, it's Doctor Doom. I saw the movie. Yeah, we we both were subjected to that. We both went to the negative zone. But en- <laughs> but enough about that theater. Um, the uh, whatever lies on the other end of it, and will if they are separate, uh, still remains to be seen. Um, she's committed here to, to not allowing them to go that they should just kill her. Um, and all that tension building the, the Quinjet lands there and, um, uh, Malik has turned the portal back on. They have 12 hours here. So we lay out a time frame, and we know that time passes on both sides of the portal at the same rate. So it's not as if more is going to happen, uh, in, in one place, than the other. Uh, Malik has given Ward the instructions to bring it back and to make history. Um, so, Pete, you're, are, are you proposing then that the fact that they not only make reference to the 12 hours, but both look at their watches to kind of simulate <laughs> synchronize. si- synchronizing that, that it might be like a countdown to the 12 hour return kind of thing in, in perhaps, say, a future uh, winter break concluding episode? Not at all. Um, Ward tells Fitz here to cheer up. It's going to be a new beginning for both of us. If, and if he gives him specials. You, if the guy's hammer uh, from earlier wasn't still floating around, it hits you just there. And he gives him special sand planet. The Force Awakens special commemorative sand goggles because they're <laughs> all going to Sandyland. Well, easy now. Those Force Awakens uh, ray goggles, they're actually repurposed um, Stormtrooper lenses. So, you know, that's that's all recycling, Matt. But it, uh, but it is I, I don't all know what Disney character Empire. you're talking about. <laughs> I am spoiler uh, pure, and I just know that there's a woman who looks up a lot and is shocked at things, and somehow there's the, the stars war. Yes. Uh, Coulson seems to be too late. 
which of course he's not. He said that he's going to end this. Um, and he jumps into the well. Uh, Malik and his guys, of course, do not see it. Uh, was a heck of a jump, heck of a leap of faith that uh, Colson was able to take too. I don't know if we would have been able to uh, to make that jump if we tried. But uh, let's let's shut it down after Colson has slipped by as we end the fifth act. Our tag scene for this penultimate fall block of episodes is Ward and Fitz on the alien planet there. Lots of dust, the, the creepy blue lighting. I thought an interesting motif to close the episode, that shot of the half moon, you know, like the half moon pub. Uh, some uh. symbolism there tells uh, tells Fitz to get moving, and then we see a figure uh, land in one of the dunes, come crashing unconsciously to rest, and it's Coulson. We'll see him next week in the winter finale on December eighth. It's it's the winter in our hearts, Pete, and uh, <laughs> certainly we see uh, Coulson. I think he was. I think he was awake when he hit the sand, but certainly knocked out when he hit his hit his yeah. little noggin there on the the well placed rock. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys, Matt. It all begins and ends in this episode with Grant Ward. Grant Ward is a bad guy. I know that there are people in the audience who disagree. Um, I think that objectively, you just need to know he has killed his family. He has tried to kill his friends. He has been brutal with his enemies. He is a psychopath. And <laughs> the fact that he is even willing to question this pretty elaborate, pretty powerful Hydra plan here to bring the alien back or whatever the exact nature of that is that we're not completely in the know on about. He's willing to jeopardize all of that because he wants to kill some specific people to get revenge shows what a psychopath he is. It was interesting in an episode entitled Closure that there really isn't much. Um, yes, he does close the uh, presumptive Colson rosalyn long-term relationship uh, for good. But this dangling thread of his brother that he had been protective for him, to him, of him, and the idea that this can be a new beginning for both of them. Um, we'll look at a little more deeply in our level seven segment. Again, I mean, Ward is a bad, 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 <laughs> bad, bad man. Period. The end finito. He beat up Simmons because he was angry. Do you need anything more than the delicate English rose being crushed by that brutish man? Pete, who else is on the dossier? Man, I I will go to a different universe here for a moment, and I will quote. Uh, you you don't know this character, but his name is Stannis Baratheon, and uh, the Game of Thrones. He says that one act, one bad act, does not wash away the good, nor the good the bad. So, Ward's story is not over yet the tease of a new beginning i think is an interesting one that it is uh coupled that it is combined 
with you know a, a lovable character like Fitz and let's remember that you know they they bonded you know you go back to the the episode where they were in Russia in the first season and the shenanigans with the sleeping bag that cloaked and the sandwich and all that and and look where we are now yeah there's a lot of water under the bridge um with Ward and all these other people but the writers keep you know diddling this redemptive dance they see the good in him Ross is on the dossier how about malik matt i don't think there's any good in him i don't ever think there's been any good in him no he i mean particularly as presented he's always apparently been a smooth operator he's always been uh trying to advance the the secret truth to Hydra, which is not just world domination, but also this, you know, alien portal guy, bring him back to earth thing. Um, definitely up to no good, but kind of a little bit less, a uh, little bit less mustache twirling than Ward. And everything that he's pushing now that he wants, whatever is on the other end of this portal brought back, that this is, Hydra's greatest mission that this is the evolution of everything they've ever tried to do yet he sends an errand boy I think is very very telling you know what I think it's hedging your bet in a way that keeps you meaning Malik safest yeah and then lastly Matt we will end with uh not Magneto um it's an actor who's been around, and I feel like they're maybe underusing him a bit. Uh, that said, if you're going to get Adriana from The Sopranos to do one episode as creepy fingernail lady, um, I guess you can get this guy to kind of be the more silent, magnetic martial arts guy. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much they use him moving forward or if it's just he's been a recognizable bad guy for three or four episodes and that's it. You mean next week when we next episode when we have the face off between the guy who can control metal and the other guy who can melt metal? Um, that's not impossible. Maybe he will be on the losing end of that and they'll be like, and they'll go, ah, and they'll look away and that'll be his exit. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. Matt, let's begin with this Pathfinder ATCU link here. What'd you make of that? Um, I, I mean, I guess it fits. I don't know if it's quite shoehorning in or if it's just, I think it is what the story needs to be. I'm still a little, I'm not crazy about the idea that in these, you know, within the last month, they have revealed the secret always there since the beginning origins of Hydra that it was not an outgrowth of the Nazis, but that actually it's been around for hundreds of years, hundreds, hundreds of years. I'm not crazy about that. So the fact that it then has to meet up with the ACTU, I guess that's just necessary. But but maybe I'm bringing some baggage of just not liking this secret origin story. Should we read into? Uh, the fact that there are five of these Hydra stones. We've been shown this a couple times. Obviously, they are brought together to recreate the portal. Is there something else going on here? We know of the Infinity Stones and their importance. 
in the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. What do you think about the Hydra Portal Stones? Well, I know that when they initially did their melty thing, they kind of turned into uh, it was like you know a a, a, a pentagram type star dealio thing so so that had crossed my mind for me to are respond, you saying are they bringing satan back through the portal is this matt gonna get like <laughs> well i mean maybe no. it could be a, a a devilish character um i mean to answer your question a bit more directly i'll step outside the fiction to respond i think that there is such a uh there's such a space between the film and tv end that for it to be some kind of feeder into one of the stones would strike me as unlikely. That said, are they going to do movie by movie history for all of the stones that will show up in the movies? Uh, probably not. So could it just be a quick, oh, and then there's this kind of stone which is all over the universe and does portals, you know, that it's just going to meet up with that. That certainly is possible uh, as well. Can Thomas Ward be trusted he does have that last name. Well, he said something pretty specific like, I am not going to be a monster like you. So, yes, I would say we cannot trust him, and he's definitely going to be up to no good at some point. Lastly, Matt, this new beginning that Ward teases, will his possible redemptive turn have to do, have anything to do with the fact that he might not come back from this place the same i like brett dalton i like brett dalton on the show i like the character of ward i think most audience members will give a lot of latitude to a well-considered ward redemption story if that's where they're going to finally end up with it that said my bet is they kill off ward for the end of the season or near the end of the season because i think they're running out of things to do with ward um perhaps they even do it sooner perhaps it's in in this in this whatever's left of this arc whatever the after effects are that's going to take us into the spring um i think that the new beginning might be a little bit of a tease to the audience members i think maybe they're they're being a little interactive and playing with the fans out there that do think he is redeemable i don't think in the writer's room they think he is redeemable to become agent grant ward you know agent of shield again well, Matt, I think there's little doubt that this show is going for Ward. Wow. Transmissions. Let's open the mailbag, Matt, and check the wire. Pete, we have an email here, which I'm going to read from. We'll kind of make this interactive. Pete, knock, knock. Who is there? ATCU. Then the punchline is Gesundheit. And uh, this is an email from Turl who says, get it? ATCU sounds like achoo. Yeah, I know. There isn't officially an H there. But, well, now we know the Hydra part is silent. So this is his mnemonic for me to help remember the <laughs> ATCU, which yes. I really, really loved the whole joke of it there. Now, this was sent by Turl um, 10 days ago. And I fear that in the subsequent 10 days, they have now <laughs> concluded the ATCU story. <laughs> um, however, I am never going to forget Knock Knock Who's There, Achu, A-T-C-U, um, whenever we think back and remember about old, old Roz, R.I.P. Roz, from the A-T-C-U. <gasps> Look, Turl, it works. Thank you. Matt did need that mnemonic, so thank you, Turl, for that. 
Um, I don't think we're done with the ATCU just yet. Let's remember that they've got Andrew and a whole bunch of other Inhumans in Stasis Goo. Fair enough. Pete, do you have any stuff from the mailbag? I do. We have a review left for us on the Fantastic Geek Pop Culture podcast feed, but it is about our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Um, this was left for us by Smiling Cat. The headline is a must listen for Marvel fans, five stars, and it reads Matt and Pete do a great job breaking down, reviewing and speculating about the various Marvel properties discovered their coverage of shield first, but now follow all of their shows. I listen to podcasts on lunch every day and am always happy to see new podcasts from them in my feed. Well done guys. Keep it up. Well, thank you so much, Smiling Cat. I always love those little anecdotes of we're part of somebody's drive, somebody's hike up the hill, somebody's lunch in this case. That's that's awesome to hear. Glad that you're enjoying the whole Fantastic Geek family of podcasts. Of course, listening on the uh, the Pop Culture Podcast feed guarantees you get everything that we do. So uh, thanks again, Smiling Cat. Definitely keeps us going to to hear that news to be part of somebody's day, whether it's Agents of Shield or Jessica Jones, which we're going through now, or Agent Carter coming up, Daredevil, the various little things we're gonna give you around the holidays here. Past couple of years, we've thrown you, you know, a commentary track for a holiday movie, and we've done Star Wars Rebels over the summer this past summer. So yeah, thanks a lot, Smiling Cat. If and only we could combine holidays and Star Wars for something kind of special this year, because I feel yeah, like commentary I don't, track. I don't know. Eh. I'm not. I'm not sure what what we're, you're referring to there. What what we can do, Matt, is is give back a little bit, and just remind you that uh, next week at the conclusion of our podcast for the final fall episode we're not falling for the winter finale jargon okay <laughs> we will be uh picking a name uh for something you may want to win um anybody who has uh shared uh any of our stuff be it via facebook via twitter um, with someone who is not already a fantastic geek follower or liker or fan or listener every time you're doing that. And we've been keeping track. You'll have one more week to do this. Anytime you do that, you get an entry into the pot for this drawing. Matt, I have cut so far about 300 little slips. There are some names that have appeared more than others, Ooh. but I have them in a little box right here. And next week we will draw them live to tape and somebody uh, may be winning something. Well, Pete, what I have in a bag is the thing bought way back at uh, special edition NYC, the, uh, summertime comic-con uh done in new york and uh been hanging on to it ever since and uh can't wait to send it along to its uh to its owner in a week's time future owner matt future owner because right now you own it right got it <laughs> and pete it's all it's the timey-wimey stuff i'm getting confused with this and then there's the other show with the timey-wimey guy on, on in the new york and all that anyhow pete what there is no question about is that people love interacting with you on twitter how can people do so 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 6,773 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are a fantastic geek. That is fantastic with a PH, and we're under that name on the .com, the Gmail, and the Twitter. And, but wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with the PH, all one word. Like us today. We keep eclipsing uh, boundaries there and unlocking special powers. You want to be part of that. Well, with that, Pete, here we are looking ahead to uh, not only uh, a couple Jessica Jones podcasts between now and uh, next Tuesday, but then the Tuesday fall slash winter slash first half finale of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Going to be be quite a run. And uh, I guess with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final penultimate fall word. Rest in peace, Rosalind.